The following message was given to the young adult group at the North Church. More information can be found at thenorthchurch.com slash young-adults. Father, thank you for bringing us here. We praise you and we worship you. You are holy. You are God Almighty and uh, we put ourselves under you and we look to you and worship you and we praise you for who you are. We praise you for how you've um, come down and died on the cross and risen so that you can dwell with us and be our God, even though you're holy. <coughs> so we praise you, we look to you, we need you. We need you every hour. And we need you for anything that had to come out of any talk at church or any time you read the Bible. We need your work for those things to uh, penetrate our hearts, our, our hearts. So we look to you, we cry out to you, and ask that you would help us, that you would be here. First thing I want to do is just walk through. Um, uh, some of you are new. Welcome to the Young Adult Ministry of our church. And I just want to walk through real quick uh, just, just the pillars of our ministry. That's just our way of saying here are some main things we focus on. And so here they are. Number one, uh, starting this, it's, we, we just want community among young adults. In a church this size, you know, uh, maybe over a thousand people on Sunday, it's hard to find uh, good community to get connected. And so this is one way to say, hey, here's a spot. You can come meet some people. And so that's really great. Number two, uh, discipleship. And this is hard to do. Our church does so many things already. So discipleship, the main uh, way this has taken Shape is through small groups. So how many of you are in a small group right now? Yeah, that's most, most, yeah. So that's awesome. That's, uh, I mean, we could do tons of events like this, uh, but what we've chosen to do is kind of like, all right, uh, let's instead focus on, like, getting you in small groups together so there can be more intentional discipleship going on. So this kind of fosters that community and then professional discipleship. Number three, connection to local church. Um, one thing we're encouraging is uh, get young adults plugged into the local church. Sometimes young adults don't because they're all alone. Like, you, you drive to church by yourself, you know, it's just hard to get plugged in without getting connected. So I, I'm hoping this is like a launching pad where we meet one another, and now we have people to like, okay, let's go serve together. You know, now we have these connection points. Um, and so those are three pillars of our ministry. So I'm, I'm always thinking, how can I foster this? How can I help and set things up in a way that we can help? Some of the goals of discipleship that I put together, um, each one of you, I think, should be fostering these things. Uh, maybe start with your head. Growing in doctrine and your understanding of theology. Uh, you should always be cultivating, growing in doctrine. And then, not just understanding the doctrine, but with your heart, uh, sincere faith. Like the doctrine penetrating your heart, believing them, receiving the truths, living out the truths of sincere faith. Um, hands, 
equipping others, serving others in some fashion. All right, so uh, the, the theme we're going through right now is joining God through serving others and kind of hitting on that aspect. As you serve, you get joy. Right, it's more blessed to give, blessed to give and to receive that kind of And then feet, uh, missions, and evangelism. Sharing the gospel, discipling, that kind of thing. So here's, these are some goals of discipleship put together. Um, these are things I'm always trying to look at. Okay, what area am I kind of weak in right now? Or can I? And so, um, I'm working right now on a document that is as practical as it can be on how to implement these things at a basic level. So I'm always thinking about things. If you ever want to talk about them, just brainstorm together. Um, I would love to do that because I find it a lot of fun. So that's an introduction kind of to our vision. And tonight I'm going to try to pick on it as we go through uh, first. And so with that, let's start. My lesson tonight is how the Bible shapes our imaginations. How the Bible shapes our imaginations. Stories, is connected, stories frame our thoughts and our imaginations. That's what stories do. Our imaginations, um, as they're shaped, cast themselves in our lives. Okay? So stories affect your imagination, which affects the way you live your life. Okay? So here's a picture of my niece. And nephew, and you can see maybe there are certain stories behind how they're dressed right now, right? Uh, Rosalie is dressed as a princess, and Isaiah is dressed as some sort of combination of Superman and uh, a sword. So this is one example of kids. Is, you can see it. You know, you can see how the stories have started to grip their imaginations, have started to grip their lives. You're starting to see them, like, show what role they want to play in the world, right? Like, what, how, what they want to embody with their lives. And that's what um, the imagination does. And my lesson tonight is how the Bible shapes our imagination. Uh, the gospel of Jesus is a story that is meant to shape your life. Kind of like you know, and in Galatians, Paul shocked that the people have abandoned the gospel for other gospels. They've turned to other gospels. So this story isn't shaping them. They're turning to other stories, right? To other gospels. The rest of my introduction is going to be based off of this book, uh, Kevin Van Hooser, Hearer, Hearers and Doers. Um, I've been wanting to read this for a long time, and I just did, and it was awesome. It's meant for pastors, uh, God making disciples, but there was so much good in this. And I'm just going to walk through some of it now as an introduction. Uh, Van Hooser, in this book, suggests three of the most prominent social stories that shape our imaginations. Three of the most prominent. Number one is wellness. Get well soon. Okay, that kind of story. Um, th this is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. That's how he puts it. He says, quote, The Global Wellness Institute estimates that global wellness fuels a $43.7 trillion economy. 
more than three times larger than the global pharmaceutical industry. He says, follow the money. If you want to see what's shaking people, follow the money. That's his point. These include the spa industry, wellness tourism, anti-aging, workplace wellness, alternative medicine, such as acupuncture, biofeedback, chiropractic, massage, meditation, yoga. And the good news of this story, of this gospel, is that you can make yourself well, you can save yourself by following this program or that program. That's the story of this, the good news of this story. So that's the first one. The second one, they're all kind of similar, is diet and nutrition. Diet and nutrition. And uh, I'm just pulling some quotes to give you an idea of where he's going. He quotes uh, Kimma Cargill, editor of Food Cults, and lists three benefits of belonging to a food cult. Number one, it's a sense of agency, empowerment, and pride, and self-care. Number two, a sense of group identity and cohesion. And three, it replaces religion with food rules and rituals, moral guidelines, and comfort. Dieting promises long life. Walter Longo notes that what you eat is the primary choice you can make that will affect whether you live to 60, 80, 100, or 110. Mm -hmm. And Ben Huser responds and says that leads to one of the most ironic euphemisms he's ever come across dying healthy. <laughs> so, diet and nutrition. The third one exercise and training. People go to the gym not to achieve military readiness like they used to, but for an aesthetic or therapeutic purpose, to look or feel better. Some attribute, some attribute this to modern individualism, or merely desire to make the real a copy of the ideal image. Through workout, the promise is that we can make ourselves over into something beautiful. So that's the promise of exercise and training. And so what I'm asking tonight is what stories frame your life? What or who do you imagine yourself to be? What script do you read? What character do you want to play? Van Huser goes on, and he uses the theodrama analogy to help us. And I love this. I'm so helped by this. Theodrama meaning, um, I want to suggest that the gospel and theology alike are dramatic. Um, and he's thinking of the theater. Not like dramatic, but call the scene. The gospel is something done. The Bible is a script, and the doctrine is a theatrical direction. And that we all, as members of the church, form a great company of the gospel, with important speaking and acting parts to play. The dramatic metaphor has become for me, my family, my students, a bracing challenge to integrate doctrine and life under the rubric faith-seeking and showing understanding. So the idea here is, he's using this to help us, but the Bible is the script, okay? This is the script. Doctrine is the direction you should go. The director is the spirit and pastors. The actors are the church. The theater is the local church. And within this, you've got to rehearse, you've got to improvise, and you've got to perform the doctrine. Okay? I think that's a really helpful, and his whole point is he's getting at hearing and doing. Hearing and doing. So hearing would just be reading the script. Doing would be enacting the part. Do you see how he's getting? 
he's going there with that. So this is super helpful, and I think it's in the Bible. The Bible wants us to be a hearer where imagination is shaped and a doer. And you guys know James 1, 23 through 25. And I'm going to be drawing on that tonight. Um, here it is. If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? So what he's saying here, not a mirror, this is a visual aid. Right. The perfect law of liberty. You see that? That's who God says you are in the scriptures, in Christ. The gospel, the law of liberty, freedom. All right? So you're, what you're meant to do is to go to the law of liberty, like a mirror, and go, who am I? Who does it say I am? So you look into this law, and it's going to tell you things. You know, uh, today we're going to look at one. Holy, holy nation. You are a holy nation. First, first Peter 2, 9. Okay? That's who you are. That's meant to shape you. Now, he's saying someone who hears but doesn't do is like someone who looks at it and goes, cool, or whatever reaction, walks away, just forgets it. Watches an Instagram post, watches the news, is shaped by some other story, and this is not what's shaping his doing. Some other narrative, some other gospel, some other story is shaping his life. But the man who's blessed in his doing looks in the mirror, the perfect call of liberty, on the holy nation, goes and doesn't forget, but enacts it in his life. He lives it out, he plays it out. And so that's my introduction. I just want to share that framework from James 1, and I'm going to give an example of this from the scriptures. The scriptures are doing this all the time stories, narratives, metaphors, symbols, typology, and it's meant to shape you, shape your imagination, shape what. Um, uh, your perception of who you are, what part you play in the world. So with that, let's go to First Peter two nine to twelve. First Peter two nine to twelve. Uh, does someone want to read it? But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that they, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Thank you. Next is some introductory remarks. Um, uh, in this text, I see, first of all, seven metaphors or analogies in here. That's why I put them in bold there. A chosen race. These are things you are. Chosen race. 
has just met with marvelous life. He's called you with a marvelous life. Uh, you're sojourners and exiles. And there's a there's a war raging. Right? The passions of flesh waging war against your soul. So those are the seven, I mean, these are things that are meant to shape you, right? These are, this is what the Bible's uh, doing. Um, the second thing I just want to note textually is, uh, have you heard any of these, kind of this language before? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, royal priesthood, right? Holy nation, uh, sojourn, exiles. Uh, it's language you've heard, right? You know priesthood because you've read the Old Testament, you know, and you can probably think of other uh, connections that you got. So I just want to show that these aren't random things. The Bible's been Bible's been doing this for a while, and he's kind of putting words to him, putting, putting a captain on it. Um, yeah. Uh, the third thing is, I just want you to know how everything in this text is plural. Everything's plural. Okay, so, you is not a single uh, a, sing a verb in the single, it's a plural word, you, plural. Uh, English doesn't have a you single, singular, and you plural is the same, it looks the same, but this is plural, you. You, a, a chosen race, I mean, that's plural, a royal priesthood, not priest, a priesthood, a holy nation, uh, a people. Uh, that you, you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. This is all plural. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you, yes you, but you have received mercy. Now, I'm going to get on this, but if you read this as you, me, 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 that's going to shape your imagination. It's going to shape your imagination. You're, you're going to see your, your life as an individual, primarily. And you are an individual. But I'm just pointing out, this is written plural. So notice all the plurals. Um, is it a local church? I don't think so, because, or because in chapter 1, he says, uh, Peter and Apostle Jesus Christ, to those who are like exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, so there's like multiple churches. So this is, it seems to be like a universal church um, language that he's talking. And so we'll talk about that a little more later. So those are just some um, textual observations. So I'm going to walk through these seven metaphors briefly. Number one, a chosen race. A chosen race. I'm not going to comment a ton on these, but at least just give, I'm going to show how Peter's using this in his life. So chosen race, Peter uses chosen other other spots. First Peter 1 1. I just read it. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Elect. They're chosen. God chosen, right? So that's our our imaginations need to be shaped, right? Uh, we are elect exiles. The church is elect exiles. First Peter 1.15. As he who called you is holy. He called you. He chose you. Right? 
you, called you, chose you, plural, is holy. Also, you be holy in all your conduct. And then he talks about Jesus. As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones built up to spiritual houses. Jesus is chosen. Those chosen language is used um, throughout First Peter. The, the picture here is a group of people chosen by God, a chosen race. Um, not multiple kinds, but a chosen race. What marks these people out is they're chosen by God. Okay? What marks out our church from the world, from the Gentiles, from the nations, from the outsiders, we're chosen people. Chosen by God. Number two. A royal priesthood. Yeah, chosen race of royal priesthood. And then 1 Peter 2, 5, just a few verses earlier. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the church is a priesthood. That's how we should think about ourselves, the priesthood. We are priests of God's kingdom. A royal priesthood. See that? So it's a kingdom of priests. In the Old Testament, the Levites and priests were responsible for worshiping God, for offering sacrifices, and for interceding on behalf of the people. And so are we, the church. That's different. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice. We offer spiritual sacrifices. The church is a witness to the nations. We bring the nations to God, a royal priesthood. We bring the nations and we call them to the kingdom. The kingdom has come. Right? We, we conduct ourselves so that the Gentiles see us and give glory to God. That's how we conduct ourselves. So we are a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice. Acceptable to God, Jesus Christ. Third, we're a holy nation. A holy nation. That's who we are. That's who the church is. A holy nation. So, same verse, verse 3, 2, 5. What kind of priesthood? A holy priesthood. Right? A holy priesthood. First Peter 1, 15. As he who called you is holy, you be holy in all your conduct. Peter's trying to shape our minds here, right? We're a holy nation. Uh, he talks to women. He's, he's encouraging women. And he's saying, he's using examples from the Old Testament. And he's saying, this is how holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, submitting to their own husbands. Uh, so holiness. We should think of ourselves as a holy nation. Next. A people for his own possession. A people for his own possession. Um, the verse I can think of with this, this is my way of putting people under by God. First Corinthians 6, you were bought with a price, right? You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. God owns you. I mean, how do you view yourself? Uh, do you view yourself as an individual kind of wandering around and just being free to do whatever you want, to choose as you please, um, is that your primary lens? Um, you are
we are much more than individuals. Okay? So, look at this. Not only are we individuals, but we're a people, right? A people. Not only are we a people, but we're not our own people. God owns us, right? So, right there, your individuality has been yanked back at least two levels to where, yeah, you are, but you're part of a people, right? God didn't just pick you. He picked a people, a holy nation. Not only that, God owns the people, right? I mean, this is, if we're in America, I mean, this autonomy is like primary in our imaginations, how we perceive ourselves. And I'm just trying to, this is one way I'm just trying to poke at that and say, yes, and you have some layers here. You're, you're not your own, actually. You're bought with the price. And collectively, you were bought with the, the price. So glorify God with your body. So, next one is your sojourners and exiles. I mean, that's speak for yourself, but uh, Hebrews 13, 14, we have no lasting city here. No lasting city here. We seek the city that is to come. Our citizenship, Philippians 3, is in heaven. And from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are sojourners and exiles. Your life, Colossians 3, is hidden in Christ, in God, in heaven. And when he appears, you will appear with him. In the meantime, sojourners. this most are older saints. Really good to be in the church with older saints. Um, this has penetrated them more as they walk through life, as they walk through suffering, as they come closer to going to hell. So, uh, yeah, uh, and when we did Colossians 3, Tim Tomlinson came and mm -hmm. spoke on that, and it was just, it was really good. An older saint in our church. So, sojourners and exiles. Uh, the other one's Marvelous Light. Yeah, I'm not going to go into all the text. In the Bible, marvelous light. Light is the light of God's presence. It's the light of God's glory. It's the light of God's holiness. We have been brought into this marvelous light. Right? Now, how are you going to live if we've been brought into that? How should that shape the way you live? Um, the next one is passions of the flesh waging war. So there's war waging. Is that how you see life? A war waging? A war raging? In your soul, your passions. James 4, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war in you? You ever wonder why you fight with somebody? There's a war going on. I mean, do you think like that? That's, that's what he's doing here. He's telling us what's going on. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 18. This charge I trust you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Wage the good warfare. Hold, hold faith. Hold a good conscience. People who don't wage the good warfare, who don't do this, have made shipwreck of their faith. Their ship has been sunk. Among you are, give me some examples. Who I handed over to say? Not the last one. So those are. Uh, seven uh, metaphors. And again, my question is, what governs your imagination? 
What shapes your imagination? How do you see yourself? Are you trying to find yourself? Do you see yourself primarily as a single person? Or maybe you view your life through the, the lens of you know, wellness, like we looked before. Uh, would, it be, would your life be different if these things shaped your imagination? If the Bible shaped your imagination? Ask another way. What makes you anxious? What makes you happy? Those are kind of ways you can tell, oh, that actually, that's, that's, that's the lens I see things through. That's, that's who I want to be, is, you know. Um, you can ask yourself those types of questions. Now, this text actually helps us. So seven metaphors. Now, how do you live? This text gives us three displays of the strength. Number one, proclaim. Number two, abstain. Number three, conduct. So here it is. You are these things that you may proclaim the excellencies. So that's one, one display. Proclaim. So this is almost like an application part of, of the lesson. If the church is chosen by God, if the church is priests of God's kingdom, the church will proclaim the excellencies of God. That's what they'll do. Right? This marks the church. The church proclaims the gospel. We are, here's another metaphor, ambassadors for Christ. Right? We're ambassadors for Christ. The church represents Christ. We bring nations in. That's what the church does. We're lights of God's presence, glory, holiness. We proclaim his mercy. That? Once, once, you were, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy, we proclaim that. We proclaim mercy. Um, so real practically, proclaim an, excellently, an excellency Christ to somebody in your life this week. A coworker, a client, a boss, a family member, a friend. And better yet, the more distant they are from Christ, the better. Share an excellency of Christ. You're a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's people. Proclaim an excellency of Christ. Number two, receive proclamation of excellencies of Christ. I'm kind of extending the application here. I'm saying push back against the instinct when someone proclaims something about Jesus. Push back against the instinct that says, oh yeah, I knew that. Or he's just being emotional. Or, hmm, interesting. Receive the proclamation of Christ. Yes, amen. Receive it. Be receptive. From your pastor, from your friend, from your family member, from your small group, be a receptive person to the excellencies of Christ. Third, are there ways to proclaim Christ together? So now I'm trying to go, okay, I want to think of this individually. Uh, let me press on that with this application. Uh, is there a way to enact this as the church together, proclaim Christ together. Um, and so, I'm asking the question, there could be ways we can do that. Um, this summer, I'm, uh, we're going to have three, we're going to host three cookouts in the trailer park right here. And we're going to host it, tell them, let them know, they'll come, and we can just build relationships and share Christ in the church. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be putting those on the schedule. Number two, so proclaim. Number two, explain. Abstain. 
as sojourners and exiles, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Okay? Are you a holy nation? Are you holy? Well, abstain from the passions of the flesh. Peter's been saying this in this whole book. Um, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Once you were not a people, now you're people. Once you had not obtained mercy, now you've obtained mercy. Don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Be holy. Look at this one. I'll just start in the middle there. The time is uh, that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in passions. Okay? That time has passed. The Gentiles do that. You're no longer the Gentiles. You're a chosen race. Right? Chosen race. You've been called. You're no longer. You're now a priesthood. Not only are you not them, but you're calling them in. So don't live in the passions like you were not of God's people or have not received mercy. Now you're different. Now we're different. Now collectively we call. We live differently. We call. Um, uh, we call the Gentiles. Number three. Conduct. Abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage wars against your soul. And now he's going to give like the positive. So abstain, say no, and then say yes to, your con to this conduct. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So don't participate in the passions of the Gentiles. Rather, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, good deeds, conduct, honorable conduct, good deeds, and glorify God on the day of visitation. So all over First Peter, conduct is used. ESV translates it all different ways, so you, you won't really see conduct, 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 that same word. As he who called you is holy, you also be holy. All your conduct. First Peter 1. First Peter 1, 18. Knowing, I mean this is the same paragraph, be holy. Now your conduct, knowing you were ransomed from the feudal conduct inherited from your forefathers. So be holy on your conduct and all your conduct because you were ransomed. Knowing you were ransomed. Knowing. Knowing your imagination is being shaped. Knowing you've been ransomed from the feudal conduct, conduct inherited from your forefathers. So keep your conduct honorable. Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word, without a word, by your conduct. By the conduct of your wives. First Peter 3.16. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who this is really similar to the verse we're looking at. This is they're almost parallel. Having a good conscience that when you are slandered, those who revile your good conduct, that's the word, in Christ may be put to shame. So all over uh, 1 Peter, you have him encouraging the church to be 
uh, to keep their conduct honorable. Uh, we do good deeds. That's what Christians do. We do good deeds. We live holy. We keep our conduct honorable among outsiders, among Gentiles. One of the qualifications of the pastor is actually that they have to be thought of well by outsiders. They've got to be thought of well by outsiders. It's the first uh, qualification listed for pastors in Acts. Um, one of the snares of the devil, I just heard David Mathis unpack this, is to expose the people of God as hypocrites and evildoers. One of the snares of the devil. Uh, one of the reasons people, so many people, you've heard this, don't want to join a local church is because the church has hurt them. They've seen so much hypocrisy in the church. They've seen so many church people holy, you know, a chosen race, a holy nation. They've seen so many uh, act like the Gentiles, and so, and they've been hurt, and so it makes it difficult to join a church. David Mathis notes three victories of the devil when the church is disgraced among Gentiles. And he's specifically talking about pastors. When a pastor is exposed, okay, he's, he's, he's been disqualified, his sin has been exposed, uh, three victories of the devil. And the way he put it is, uh, you can just hear the devil squealing with joy when he gets another one of these victories. Number one, he injures the pastor. Um, he injures the pastor, right? Pastor's done. Uh, the church is done. He hurts the faith of those in the church, right? Hurts the faith of those in the church by getting at the pastor. And this can be true to anyone. And three, he confirms the lack of faith of those outside, you know? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. When, that's, when, when that conduct is erased, the Gentiles looking in aren't going to give glory to God. They're not going to be put to shame when they speak evil of you. They're, going to, they're actually going to have something to latch on to. And the church of God is, is, is uh, disgraced in that sense. That's kind of a out of the text a little bit here, but I'm just maybe pushing the encouragement a little more uh, to, to as the church, how important it is to keep our conduct honorable, because who we are, right? Who, who, who we are, the people of God, people owned by God. So, seven metaphors, three applications uh, in the text, three displays of the script, Right? Three displays of the script coming from God. Uh, we need the Spirit and, and, uh, as a director to help us. And as young adults, I just want to make two applications for us. Two applications for us. Number one, I just really encourage you to join a local church. To join a local church. Jake, Aaron, and I were on dinner two weeks ago, and we were talking about the analogy of 
dating, or maybe it was when you're engaged, like eventually you have to say, this person. You, you gotta limit, you can't, do, you can't be everywhere, right? You can't date everybody, you can't marry everybody. Eventually, you have to say, okay, autonomy, farewell, this, this person, right? You gotta limit your options. And what I'm saying is, how do you embody the, above, the metaphors of scripture, the plural metaphors? How, how would you best embody them? How would you best embody them? And for all of church history, it's been local church. I mean, from the scriptures on, it's been join the local church. And so I'm just encouraging us to join the local church, to love the church. It's an excellency. It's a people chosen by God. And not only join a local church like I attend here, but join the life of the church. Join the life of the church. So you can come, and you can sit, and you can you know, take it in and leave and go live your life. But the church is doing stuff. You know, pastors are all the time going to lay stuff out. So pick and choose and go and live in the life of the church. Just encouraging it that way. You have directors pastors, leaders. And so put yourself under them joyfully and let them direct you around. Uh, join the life of the church. And I understand the church hurts and all of those things. And um, there may be legit things to process and that's okay. But I would say head the direction. Head the direction of joining the church. Living the life of God's people. Number two, um, I just want to encourage you to conduct your life in, in an honorable manner. The first way to do that is to be a hearer. Okay? First way to do that is to hear. So saturate yourself with the stories, metaphors of the Bible. Go to the mirror of the law of liberty and, and look into it. Look into it. Always look into it. Um, there are so many stories. Look into the story of the scriptures. It's made to shape you. Okay? It's written to shape you. It's written to tell you who you are, what you're about. And then, don't just hear it and walk away and live another story. Don't turn to other Gospels. Don't live out other Gospels. You can affirm this and live another Gospel. Don't just hear it. Live the Gospel. And here I want to say that not only does hearing shape your imagination, but as you do it, the doing shapes your imagination. Uh, you get shaped as you enact something. It, 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 it kind of solidifies it. It kind of uh, in you. It, it solidifies who you are as you do it. So one example from my life is I did a evangelism outreach internship in inner city of Detroit in 2016. Every bit of it was uncomfortable for me. Every bit of it. We read lots of books. Actually, that part wasn't uncomfortable. <laughs> 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 
We knocked on hundreds of doors. We wandered around and on the right talking to random people. We went to rehab centers and led Christianity explored lessons. I went to the same, same coffee shop every week. Um, oh, this next part was fun. I connected with the Muslim communities through so soccer and sharing the gospel. We hung out in neighborhoods every week and put on events and talked to people. I received more verbal persecution for my faith in three months than I have in my whole life in that internship. Uh, during the time, I didn't know what was happening. When I left, I came to realize it shaped my imagination significantly. It thought it shaped who I thought of myself as. It shaped, it created a lifestyle of evangelism I couldn't imagine could be normal. Uh, my imagination was shaped by, by pastors being prescriptive. Daniel, you're going to this coffee shop Tuesdays at 3. Everything was prescribed by pastors. None of it's legalistic. And that's what I want to push on. Um, the more you do things, the more you shape in your imagination. So one of the best things you can do, I think, is you have leaders, you have pastors, you have directors. Go to them and, and invite them to be prescriptive on your life. Talking prescriptive. Give me specific actions so I can start training muscles that, that never get developed apart from the mental acknowledgement of that it's good, right? So you acknowledge so many things, and I'm saying, ask them, help me to put this into practice in my life, and give me some specifics, and then start living it, and then it will shape your imagination as you do the things. Um, uh, one shift that I had to make in my life was you can't develop this on your own. Put yourself under directors, under shepherds, under leaders, and let them guide you in it um, as people chosen by God. So that's an invitation. That's like a challenge. That might sound weird. Um, that might push against so many odd things. We'd love to talk about it more. Um, and just want to encourage you in that way. So conduct your life our church is very strong at hearing and looking in the mirror. And so yes, and then enact. And that's my challenge. So, 8.15. Does anyone know how long that went? Oh, we're done. <laughs> Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for inspiring it. Thank you so much for not leaving us to our own, but for giving us Instruct, instruction, giving us a script, for giving us pastors. Lord, thank you so much for our pastors here. Uh, we hear we hear incredible exposition and theology every week. And so I ask that you would bless it. Bless it to the young adults in our church. Uh, please encourage us. Please challenge us. Please give us strength to, as a community, to enact some of these things and to uh, be disciple and to be mature. So we just we beg you for your help. We need you every hour. And so I ask you to do it. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Young Adult Ministry at the North Church.
Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but do not charge for the copies or alter the content in any way without express written permission from the North Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at thenorthchurch.com slash young-adults.